Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. Welcome back, everyone. So, whilst you uh, latecomers were still powdering your noses, we that remained have just had a very short chat about the origins of the city of Numas. But I don't think you missed anything too important, so uh, don't worry. Instead, please sit down and pour yourself another. Oh, and uh, yes, uh, Apprentice Fazari, to answer your question, it is true. The High Elves really are as haughty and aloof as you've heard. Apart from my friend, uh, Calhordis Whitemane, of course. Although, uh, he is in exile. So I don't think he can uh, afford to burn any bridges, to be honest. Although, uh, this has probably been to the betterment of his character, all things said. <sighs> ah, anyway. Are you all ready? Mm, good. Well, now that everyone has popped their bladder racks and refilled their tankards, let us continue proper. Oh, look, look. There's still a bit of rum left. Could someone uh, pour me one? Yes, Mr. Ah, thank you, Senior Apprentice. Oh, and I'd uh, wager there's still enough left for anyone else who wants one. Ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, but not you, Heinrich, I'm afraid. Eh? I've seen you on the run, and it is not a pretty sight. Eh? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. You could barely stand, let alone remember. Wasn't that also the night that the uh, Skaven kidnapped you? Ah, yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned, yes, it was. Hmm, it's a shame. Ah, do not think on it too much. You are not the only person to disappear that night. There was a spate of kidnappings. The bard, Tiernan of Maulain, cousin of our very own master alchemist, also vanished that night. Cedric is, as of course you'd imagine, very worried. Oh, really? I hope he is all right. I was fortunately rescued by my comrades, but uh, had I not been, I shiver to think of my fate. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps I will give the old uh, rum a miss. Uh, just this once, though. A wise move. But what's the matter, Heinrich? You are rubbing your chest. Are you all right? Ah, so I am. It is, it is nothing. Just a little scratch. Nothing to worry about. It is all fully healed now, due to the uh, fiery skills of one of the city's healers. Although, I have a feeling there is going to be a uh, hidden cost. Zoviso, let us not talk about me, Master Tavernkeeper. You were about to tell us about the legacy of the pact that Ramotep, the king of Numas, had made with this uh, scarab 
God. Ah, yes, indeed. But first, it's worth discussing the nature of this pact. Or indeed, any pact with the gods. For the desires of the damned and the divine differ from that of men. For they want nothing less than our very soul stuff. Now, there was little to nothing written with regards to the details of the pact that Ramotep made with the scarab god in the text of Nehekara. For to write such was forbidden, but from my time circumventing the coast of the Southlands, I did hear a story relating to an uh, ancient scarab king of the northern desert from an altogether different source. A sailor of Ebonian descent, whom we rescued from the clutches of the um, unmistakable ratman of the shifting mangrove coast. Unmistakable? Why unmistakable? Ah, well, that is because unlike other ratmen, the fur of these skaven is sun-bleached, a sickly yellow-white. Yeah, that is most certainly a striking colour scheme. I see what you mean about unmistakable. Zoviso, please, continue. Well, it must have been back in, uh, ah yes, 1548, I think, as our ship was coming up the eastern coast of the Southlands, that all this took place. It was midsummer, and, as is often the case in the western waters of the Sea of Dread, the winds were barely blowing, and we were forced to stick near the coast, despite the dangers posed by the inhabitants of its shores. The reason, you may be asking yourself. Yeah, indeed I was. <laughs> I'd hope so. Well, the reason was the dread sea breeze that blows onto the continent of the Southlands from the ocean during the mid-year months. For during summer, the air is as still as the grave as soon as the sun goes down. But as night turns back to day, the soaring temperatures inland warm the air above the landmass and causes a cool breeze to blow in over the shore towards the interior, giving all the nearby ships dotted up and down the coastline some well-needed propulsion. Alas, this always blows itself out again by dusk, forcing everyone to uh, weigh anchor at night. But this stop-start way of travelling is better than the alternative. The alternative, of course, is being stranded out in the ocean, becalmed and alone. Indeed, I have heard tell of some boats drifting too far from the coast in that part of the sea and becoming becalmed for the whole summer, with many a crew as food, fresh water and grog run out, turning to such extreme measures as mass suicide and some even cannibalism. Oh yeah, what a nightmare. My grandpapa described in detail the hardships that he and his crew endured whilst Marco's three ships were stranded out in the great ocean for those uh, few weeks. And that was uh, bad enough. But uh, nowhere as extreme as having to eat one's shipmates. Thank goodness that his boats were well stocked. Ah, uh, yes. Now, I've not actually heard any first-hand accounts of cannibalism, to be honest. Just some tales from some of the salty dogs in Old Goldbeard's tavern, where I worked whilst I lived in Skeggy. But, one story I did hear from someone directly affected by being dead-calmed, as we say, was told by Gorgetooth, a bosun on my old boat, the Ava Phantom. He told me that, on a ship he'd once worked on, he and the crew had been driven to drink their own urine whilst being becalmed 
in that very same stretch of water. Ha! By the light of Mansleep, how did they do that? Not uh, guzzling it down directly from the source, I dare say. Ha! <laughs> you mean like, it was on the old boat, Bolinus? By the gods you should have seen us. The figurehead was widely spread, astride a massive... Eh? Sorry, neophytes. Got a bit carried away there. No, Heineck, I don't think he was a crew member of that kind of ship. Ah, no, no, no. Actually, he told us that they would save it in jars, letting it cool overnight therein, ready to be drunk the next morning. As time went on, and the process was repeated over and over, he told me that it became exceedingly red and more and more tart. Thankfully, the rains eventually came, giving them something far more palatable to partake in, and no doubt saving their lives. But still... Yeah, yeah, what a charming anecdote. Zoviso... What of this uh, Ebonian sailor you rescued then? And one more thing. Where, by Ulrich's beard, is Ebonia? I have never heard of it before this evening. Ah, indeed. And there is a good reason for that. For there is no Ebonia. Well, not anymore at least. Oh, yeah. Now, the tribe known as the Ebonians once lived in the region to the southeast of Nehekara whose dwellings sat on the shores of the old lake Eben, near the city of Rasetra. They were a powerful race of fierce, dark-skinned warriors, noble in countenance and fine in form. They worshipped a deity known as the Dark Maiden, who bears more than a passing resemblance to the blessed Namud, the Dark Maiden, who, I hazard, is not unknown to us here in Tylea, as it was she that was mentioned in the holy Bellona Mermidia. Ah, I'm sorry, Zavot? Ah, yes, of course, Heinrich. As an empire man, you probably aren't aware of the collection of holy books that tell of the mortal life of holy Mermidia before she ascended to godhood. Yeah, indeed, I do not. But here, I doubt that there are many Tylians who do not know of them. Although I hazard a guess that there are very few that have actually read them. I'll take that silence as a yes, then. The Dark Maiden raised her hand, and Mamidia said, Who are you that bars my passage to victory? And the Dark Maiden said, I am Namud, the princess of my people, and far from home. You bore weapons and saved me, so I pray thee, believe my words. When I was the captive of Iscarius, I listened to his schemes, and I know you to be deceived. Just a little quote from the uh, Book of Transgressions there. In that particular tale, the Dark Maiden is a woman rescued by Mermidia, who then goes on to warn the goddess of an ambush. Mermidia then sends her forces to outflank the ambushes in what would later be called the massacre of the Three Gorges, and this decisive victory proved to be the fulcrum point in Mermidia's own campaign. The Dark Maiden then left the mountains, there to live a life of a stranger in a strange land, to quote the Holy Script. 
This is most commonly thought of to be that of a hermit, although that is a creative interpretation to my mind. Anyway, harking back to what we talked about earlier, I feel that the unnamed deity alluded to in the tale of the Scarab King, the one that the Abonian commanders Ramotep, Jakai, and Pedjet worshipped, was, in point of fact, Namud, the Dark Maiden, for both their deity and Namud are described as having skin as black as coal and a face so imperious, regal and perfect that all those that look upon it forsake all else. Tamor, the sailor of Ebonian descent whom I met on the seas there, was a devotee of a deity he also called the Dark Maiden. I do not see coincidence here. To my mind, the goddess of the sailor Tamor, the goddess of the ancient Ebonians, and our own Namud are all one in the same. But this is just my own opinion. I insist that you, neophytes, decide for yourselves if that is true or not. Anyway, it was also from Tamor that I learnt of the fate of Ebonia. So, let's first start with him and then move on to the land of his ancestors. The sea breeze was just picking up as I recall. We were staying close to the infamous stilt cities of the swamp-dwelling Ratmen, belonging to the Skaven that Tamil called Clan Festalingus. As we neared a particularly dense part of tangled shoreline, we suddenly saw hundreds of Skaven pour out from the swamps of their stinking mangrove kingdom and swarm the shallows, before attempting to clamber onto one of their fetid vermin ships that was anchored there. Their target, it seems, was a large fishing boat of an ancient design that was being mauled by a swarm of crocodile-headed giant rats that must have swam out to the boat in the wee hours. Upon seeing the plight of the fishing vessel, my tutor immediately commanded the captain to bring them closer and fire on the Skaven boat. The gunnery sergeant's aim was true and it blew the Ratman's vessel out of the water in a single fusillade. The surviving Skaven duly disappeared back into the tangle of mangroves, leaving only the hideous mutants for us to deal with. I quickly jumped onto one of our rowing boats with a handful of the other sailors, led by my tutor, and we heaved on the oars with all of our might to reach the stricken craft as quickly as we could. As we got closer, we saw that the monster had bitten great chunks out of the fishing boat, and it was beginning to take water. Upon reaching the first of the giant rat crocodiles, my tutor swung his great warhammer and caved in its skull with a single blow, leaving it to sink below the waves. I myself took up a harpoon and thrust it at the next nearest, slicing open its guts and spilling its foul innards into the waters. Some of our fellows then pulled out their muskets and peppered the remaining beasts with shot, killing enough to send the others fleeing back towards the swamps. We then rescued the surviving half-dozen fishermen and brought them aboard. Amongst their number was Tamo, 
who was to become a permanent member of our crew. Tamo said that the village they hailed from, secreted away in the jungle further down the coast, away from the Skaven clans, had been founded by refugees from the lost kingdom of Ebonia. Upon hearing this, of course, I asked for more details. He told me that the kingdom of Ebonia had existed during the heyday of the Nehekaran dynasties, just on the periphery of their realm. It was tolerated as it acted as a bulwark between the jungles of the Lizardmen and the cities of the Tomb Kings, until divinely ordained disaster rained down from the heavens and wiped out every last one of the lakeside cities and large fishing settlements off the face of the continent. He told me that the consort of the god Putra, Sakmet, the goddess of the green moon, had grown jealous of the goddess of the Ebonians, our dark maiden, and in a fit of rage, Sakmet had hurled a great chunk of warpstone onto the children of the dark maiden, vaporizing their lake and destroying their entire civilization. The remains of this are still visible today as a huge crater known as the Crater of the Waking Dead, where, Tamil told me, two undead legions of the Tomb Kings are cursed to fight continuously until the end of the world, although he knew nothing more about them than that. Anyway, Tamo and I worked quite closely on our ship and spent many hours talking and telling tales as we worked. One such tale was of the pact made between a Nehekaran king and the Scarab God of the Sun. It seems that the Ebonians too paid homage to Putra, representing him as a cross known as the Tendua Kiazianu Kongo. Here, pass me that quill and ink. Thank you. It looks like this. As you can see, it is a four-pointed cross, each point ending in a circle, and from each circle, there is an arrow trailing off. Each point is an aspect of Putra. On the far right, he is the rising sun, the scarab god, whom I call Kepri, but who uh, Tamo called Kepra. At the top, he is Putra, the noon sun. On the left, he is Tem, the setting sun, and in the bottom half of the cross, he rests in the arms of the dark maiden before his rebirth. Oh, and by the way, that scarab-shaped amulet I showed you earlier is also known as a Kepra amulet. Their purpose is unknown to us at present, though. Mine apparently came from the treasure trove found with the sarcophagus of King Kasef the infant son, murdered by Nagash's father, of Queen Masut, and interred within her tomb. Anyway, Tamo said that he had heard that a tomb king, whom I believe was Ramhotep, for who else could it have been, had offered the scarab aspect of the sun god his own soul's time with the Dark Maiden, in exchange for eternal youth and the strength and prowess of the scarab god himself. He thought, as he would never grow old and thus never die, 
What need did he have of rebirth? And in this way, the bloodline of Ramhotep became ever touched by the light of the Trinity of the Sun God. But the Dark Maiden would not be cheated and whispered to the kin of Ramhotep, tempting them with power and pleasure if they would but kill their king. And so it came to pass. In this way too did the bloodline of the murderers of Ramhotep, members of his own royal family, become tainted by the curse of the Dark Maiden. And both the light of Putra and the darkness of Namrud would make their presences felt in the bloodline of Ramhotep. And it is here that we shall finish our discussion of Numas.